Chapter 30 of The Riders of the Silences by Max Brand. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. At that, Mary, who stood with her hand on the latch, whirled and stood wide-eyed, her astonishment greater than her fear, for that whisper told her a thousand things. Through her mind at all times she stayed in the cabin there, had passed a curious surmise that this very place might be the covert of Pierre La Rouge. There was a fatality about it, for the invisible power which had led her up the valley of the old crow surely would not make mistakes. In her search for Pierre, Providence had brought her to this place, and Providence could not be wrong. This, a vague emotion, stirring in her somewhere between reason and the heart, grew to an almost certain knowledge as she heard the whisper, the faint, heartbroken whisper, Pierre. And when she turned to the boy again, noting the shirts and the chaps hanging at the wall, she knew they belonged to Pierre as surely as if she had seen him hang them there. The fingers of Jack were twisted around the butt of his revolver, white with the intensity of the pressure. Now, he cried, get out. You've done your work. Get out. But Mary stepped straight toward the murderous pale face. I'll stay, she said, and wait for Pierre. The boy blanched. Stay, he echoed. The heart of Mary went out to this trusted companion who feared for his friend. She said gently, Listen, I've come all this way looking for Pierre, but not to harm him or to betray him. I'm his friend. Can't you trust me, Jack? Trust you? No more than I'll trust what came with you. And the fierce black eyes lingered on Mary and then fled past her toward the door, as if the boy debated hotly and silently whether or not it would be better to put an end to this intruder, but stayed his hand, fearing the power which had followed her up the valley of the old crow. It was that same invisible guardian who made Mary strong now, it was like the hand of a friend on her shoulder, like the voice of a friend whispering reassuring words at her ear. She faced those blazing black eyes steadily. It would be better to be frank, wholly frank. This is the house of Pierre. I know it as surely as if I saw him sitting here now. You can't deceive me, and I'll stay. I'll even tell you why. Once he said that he loved me, Jack but he left me because of a strange superstition. So I followed him to tell him that I want to be near no matter what fate hangs over him. And the boy, whiter still and whiter, looked at her with clearing, narrowing eyes. So you're one of them, said the boy softly. You're one of the fools who listened to Red Pierre. Well, I know you. I've known you from the minute I seen you crouched there at the fire. You're the one Pierre met at the dance, at the Crittenden schoolhouse. Tell me. Yes, said Mary, marveling greatly. And he told you he loved you. Yes. It was a fainter voice now, and the color was going up her cheeks. The lad fixed her with his cold scorn, and then turned on his heel and slipped into an easy position on the bunk. Then wait for him to come. He'll be here before morning. But Mary followed across the room and touched the shoulder of Jack. It was as if she touched a wild wolf, 
for the lad whirled and struck her hand away in an outburst of silent fury. Why shouldn't I stay? He hasn't. He hasn't changed, Jack. The insolent black eyes looked up and scanned her slowly from head to foot. Then he laughed in the same deliberate manner. No, I guess he thinks as much of you as he ever did. You're lying to me, said the girl faintly, but the terror in her eyes said another thing. He thinks as much as you as he ever did. He thinks as much of you as he does the rest of the soft-handed, pretty-faced fools who listen to him and believe him, I suppose. He broke off to laugh heartily again, with a jarring, forced note which escaped Mary. I suppose that he made love to you one minute, and the next told you that bad luck, something about the cross, kept him away from you. Each slow word was like a blow of a fist. Mary closed her eyes to shut out the scorn of that handsome boyish face, closed her eyes to summon out from the dark of her mind the picture of Pierre La Rouge, as he told her of his love, and then she heard the voice of Pierre renouncing her. She opened her eyes again. She cried, It's all a lie. If he's not true, there's no truth in the world. If you come down to that, said the boy coldly, there ain't much wasted this side of the Rockies. It's about as scarce as rain. He continued, in an almost kindly tone, What would you do with a wild man like Red Pierre? Run along. Get out of here. Grab your horse and beat it back to civilization. There ain't no place for you up here in the wilderness. What would I do with him? cried the girl. Love him. It seemed as though her words, like whips, lashed the boy back to his murderous anger. He lay with blazing eyes, watching her for a moment, too moved to speak. At last, he propped himself on one elbow, shook a small, white-knuckled fist under the nose of Mary, and cried, Then what would he do with you? He went on. Would he wear you around his neck like a watch charm? I'll bring him back with me, back into the east, and he would be lost among the crowds and never suspected of his past. You'd bring Pierre anywhere? Say, lady, that's like hearing the sheep talk about leading the wolf around by the nose. If all the men in the ranges can't catch him or make him budge an inch out of the way he's picked, do you think you could stir him? Jeering laughter shook him. It seemed that he would never be done with his laughter. Yet there was a hint of the hysterically mirthless in it. It came to a jarring stop. He said, Do you think he's just being driven around by chance, lady? Do you think he even wants to get out of this life of his? No, he loves it. He loves the danger. Do you think a man that's used to breathing in a whirlwind can get used to living in calm air? It can't be done. And the girl answered steadily, For every man there is one woman, and for that woman the man will do strange things. You poor white-faced whimpering fool, snarled the boy, gripping at his gun again. Do you dream that you are the one that's picked out for Pierre? No, there's another. Another? A woman who? Who loves Pierre? A woman that's fit for him. She can ride like a man. She can shoot almost as straight and as fast as Pierre. 
She can handle a knife. And she's been through hell for Pierre, and she'll go through it again. She can ride the trail all day with him and finish it less fag than he is. She can chop down a tree as well as he can and build a fire better. She can hold up a train with him or rob a bank and slip through a town in the middle of the night and laugh with him about it afterward around a campfire. I ask you, is that the sort of woman that's meant for Pierre? And Mary answered with bowed head, She is. She cried instantly afterward, cutting short the look of wild triumph on the face of the boy. But there's no such woman. There's no one who could do these things. I know it. The boy sprang to his feet, flushing as red as the girl was white. You fool, if you're blind and got to have your eyes open to see, look at the woman. And she tore the wide-brimmed sombrero from her head. Down past the shoulders flooded a mass of blue-black hair. The firelight flickered and danced across the silken shimmer of it. It swept wildly past the waist, a glorious night-dark tide in which the heart of a strong man could be tangled and lost. With quivering lips, Jacqueline cried, Look at me. Am I worthy of him? Short step by step, Mary went back, staring with fascinated eyes as one who sees some devilish midnight reverie and shrinks away from it lest the sight should blast her. She covered her eyes with her hands, but instantly strong grips fell on her wrists and her hands were jerked down from her face. She looked up into the eyes of a beautiful tigress. Answer me, your yellow hair against mine, your child fingers against my grip. Are you equal with me? But the strength of Jacqueline faded and grew small. Her arms fell to her side. She stepped back with a rising pallor, taking the place of the red, for Mary, brushing her hands, one gloved and one bare before her eyes, returned the stare of the mountain girl with equal scorn. A mighty loathing filled up her veins in place of strength. Tell me, she said, was, was this man living with you when he came to me and, and made speeches about love? Bah, he was living with me. I tell you, he came back and laughed with me about it and told me about your baby blue eyes when they filled with tears. Laughed and laughed and laughed, I tell you, as I could laugh now. The other twisted her hands together, moaning. And have I followed him even to the place where he keeps his woman? And how I hate myself. How I despise myself. I'm unclean, unclean in my own eyes. Wait, called Jacqueline. You're leaving too soon. The night is cold. I am going. There's no need to jibe at me. But wait, he'll want to see you. I will tell him that you have been here, that you came clear up the valley of the old crow to see him and beg him on your knees to love you. He'll be angry to have missed the scene. But the door closed on Mary as she fled, with her hands pressed against her ears. End of chapter 30